Welcome to episode 22 of Significant Watches. We have some exciting news developing. Um, we are just learning that our co-host, Tony Trena has been picked up from the big leagues, and he's taking his talents to Hope Dinky as their latest editor. Congratulations, Tony. Thanks for saying that, Charlie. Yeah, I was happy to be able to give you guys the scoop first, uh, but I'm excited to be starting at Hodinky. Probably by the time this article or this podcast is published, I start after Labor Day. I'll, I'll be hard at work in the trenches at, at Hodinky, uh, but excited to get started. I've been doing escapement for a few years, and then, I don't know, during the pandemic, I would say I especially started to dedicate a lot of time to it. So, uh, Rewarding to be able to go take my talents to, you know, probably the biggest sort of watch platform, if not in the States, uh, in, in the world. So excited to work with a new team of editors and managing editors there um, and looking forward to it. This is awesome. So we'll jump right back into that in uh, just a moment. But checking in with our friend Gabe. Uh, Gabe, what's going on? Have you got Wi-Fi and a, a computer from this century? We're, we're having trouble with the... Uh technological we're gonna start a gofundme for the for the podcast to get you a new laptop it seems yeah, who knows i recently ran a motorcycle into my barn so that could have had some effect into it but um <laughs> who knows you know i'm still cranky as ever lots of new releases to discuss so you know i wanted to delve into your move to the big h what people many people don't know is you're not uh you have not just been doing this newsletter full-time rescatement and the podcast and everything the last several years, but you were at a major law firm in Chicago. So it's a, you know, a pivot that not many people who have invested that many years and dollars into a law school education would, would pivot from law to watch journalism. <laughs> Maybe you're one of the first. Uh, tell us, you know, about pursuing your passion and what led you to this move. Yeah, thanks, Eric, for reminding me of everything I've left behind for to pursue my passion. Uh, <laughs> second guessing everything once again. Um, you know, yeah, taking a step back for those who don't know, I've been an attorney for the past four years since I graduated law school, doing mostly like media, tech, and intellectual property type deals. I started doing rescatement kind of just a few years ago as a creative outlet, something to do sort of on nights and weekends. You know, I always loved writing and creative writing. Um, but it was always that kind of a part-time outlet. And I didn't think much of it at the beginning. At some point, kind of like I mentioned during the pandemic, when I started investing a lot more time into it and made a lot of internet friends like our own Charlie Dunn here, I, you know, Riskament started to pick up some traction and I started freelancing a lot more last year for Hodinki, a collected man, places like that. Uh, this year I kind of had set the challenge for myself to see if I could commercialize Riskatement a little bit. And, you know, I started selling some advertisements and things like that. And it was, it was doing pretty good. It was moving along slowly, but, uh, you know, earlier this year, Riskate or, uh, Hodinki, I should say, reached out with the opportunity to potentially become a full-time editor. And, you know, I thought a lot about it over the last few months. Um, and it, you know, in the end, obviously I'm going there. So I decided it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up to sort of work with, like I said, probably the largest platform. And I think it'll be a great way to uh, just have a ton of great opportunities in the industry, continue to sort of expand my reach and the people I know and the people in the industry and all of that type, all of those types of things. Um, I don't know. It was actually harder than I thought it would be to leave the law behind, I suppose. You know, I've dedicated 
the last seven or eight years, I suppose, to it, you know, studying for the LSAT and law school and then working for the past four years. So when it came down to it, I actually did have um, a a harder time than I thought I might kind of leaving my life as an attorney. But, um, you know, I've looked at other people that have left behind previous careers to pursue, um, pursue watches. And, you know, most of them do not regret it. Uh, you know, a couple of them obviously are on this podcast. I think Eric, you know, doesn't regret sort of leaving his job in biofuels or whatever fancy stuff he was doing before, uh, becoming a full-time watch dealer. Uh, you know, Charlie, like, you know, hard ass bosses aside, I think he enjoys, uh, his, his life as a (laughs) full-time, as a full-time watch, uh, as, as it, as he's in watches full-time. Um, I've talked to other people like that too, uh, that, you know, seem to seem to really enjoy following their passion and, uh, all of that type of stuff. So I think it'll be, uh, I don't know, it's an exciting opportunity for me. Uh, it was a difficult decision that I did mull over a little bit more than I thought I might, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know, it, it's kind of one of those things where you wake up in the morning and it's like, well, are you excited to be an attorney today? Or are you excited to write about watches today? And I, I, I'm hopeful it'll continue to be the, the latter, even when it becomes sort of a full-time job that is paying my paycheck and not just something I'm, I'm doing on the side when I want. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that'll be the case because of how much I love watches and how much I love writing. Uh, but, but that's, that's what led to it. And I'm excited to start next week. That's yeah. amazing. I couldn't, basically compliment you uh enough for your writing about watches tony i've been a huge fan of yours since the early days of rescatement uh i think in the article that introduced you and the fellow new uh editors at hodinkee they said you kind of represent the old voice at hodinkee uh which i would agree with uh, you're a wonderful wonderful writer and so excited you took this step away from the law we need uh less lawyers and more watch writers <laughs> i don't necessarily know if we need more watch writers uh but watch writers yeah i certainly agree with the first part of that statement and to your point yeah i think um uh nick said something like you know tony loves uh sort of exploring the corners of collecting which i thought was kind of a fun way of putting it but yeah i mean i do hope to sort of get into sort of the the old school hodiki niche a little bit that you know early ben climber articles and eric wind articles kind of represent and you know uh obscure areas of vintage and you know neo vintage collecting nowadays uh you know i've learned more about modern independence over the past uh, little bit as well so all of that type of stuff that kind of represents like hardcore collecting i hope to sort of be the niche that i will carve out there and obviously that's how they positioned it in the um in the introductory article and i hope that's kind of what to do for people that you know some people have asked like what <laughs> what i'll be doing at hodiki and i kind of hope that'll be uh my my mo there and i think it'll be kind of uh you know uh, what people for people that have read Riskatement, it'll be more of that, but just like with sort of the resources and platform of of Hodinkee, um, in addition to me being able to do it for uh, a, a full time amount of hours a week instead of uh, scraping out a few hours uh, every week to to write one article. So that's the goal. Yeah, and I think um, for me, when I was switching from working in biofuels to going to work for Christie's, my only concern really was whether i would like watches less as since it was my passion and hobby but every day i like them more and more the more you learn or you get engaged i can tell you have the exact same sort of you know uh 
love of these watches, Tony. So I, I know a year from now, you're going to love watches even more and know so much more, you know, and it's interesting. Hodinkee's obviously going through a transition. Uh, Jack Forrester left to work for Watchbox. John Hughes just went to work for Seiko, Grand Seiko. Um, and, uh, I think there's some other changes on the masthead. So it's, it's great. Um, Tony is just a wonderful addition and, and the other people joining you are, I think kind of represent the new wave of, of watch journalists in different ways. Brandon, uh, with his sort of interesting YouTube reviews and Malika is a wonderful accomplished, uh, watch writer, um, as well. For those of you that are huge, significant watches fan, uh, the the podcast will be going on. Uh, we are not going under the Hodinkee umbrella. Uh, the four of us each own 25% of the podcast. So if Hodinkee wants to write a big check to Gabe, Charlie, and me, they're welcome to, and, and they can acquire us. But uh, until then, we are uh, independent, and uh, hopefully will remain so forever. Uh, Unless someone wants to write us a big check. We know we used to want to uh, surpass Joe Rogan, and now we just want to surpass Meghan Markle now that she has the number one podcast in the world on Spotify. So uh, there you go. Does she really? I've never listened to her. It just came out last week with Serena Williams. And huge, huge. Uh, need a watch Serena. check from those two. Both are acclaimed sort of watch wearers. Yes, yes. Um, so that that's great. Um, as uh, you may have seen, we're the 19th best watch podcast in the world, according to Feedspot. Um, very excited about that. You know, I personally think we're top 10, but we need your help and the reviews to make that a reality. So please leave uh, positive feedback. Or we can read all of the reviews, even if they're critical. I think there's one critical review that I found quite fun the other day you guys what should we do the uh podcast juicing as my friend jeremy kirkland would say from blamo podcast march 25th 2022 haters unnecessary hate on omega one-dimensional views on new releases disappointing from real watch lovers rolex doesn't own colors big shock stop hating also pretty boring i mean we were we were haters that day i, I can't lie we we were a little bit bitter that we didn't get invited to the Omega pool party um, in so Miami. In Miami, we still <laughs> are hoping to get there next year. It's a it's a fair review. We were kind of hating that day, but um, it, it two is, stars. I mean, it could be worse. Could have been worse. He listened. He listened. Got through it. You know, we do love Omega. Um, you know, we were just admiring some six Seamasters, some vintage Seamasters and Constellations the other day. I mean, I'm a huge Amiga fan. Vintage stuff is always super interesting, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Eric, do you have another review that you uh, that you wanted to read? I thought there was, there was a funny one that might have been done from an anonymous source. There's a great one. I don't really feel comfortable reading it, but I'll just read the introduction. Let's be real about Mr. Eric Wind. Men want to wear his watches. Women want to be on his arm. He is the closest thing the watch world has to James Bond. If Bond had a deep baritone voice that could soothe even the most dried mainspring. 
<laughs> That's only about half the review. I don't want to spoil it. You can go on uh, Apple Podcasts and see the rest of it uh, and leave your own positive review uh, or whatever review you would like, but hopefully positive. That you know, we're trying to put uh, you know food on the plate for for dogs, for kids, babies, and we need your five star reviews to make that a reality. I mean, not Atmos Glocks. You know, it's just it's not going to come without your help, people. I mean, we, but for real, a lot of people do reach out to us every week and are asking us when the next episode is coming in. So if you do feel inclined to spend like two minutes and write something about your impression of the podcast, go for it. You have to do it in Apple Podcasts for those who are technologically inept and can't figure out how to do that. We have over 30 reviews right now. Um, Hodinkee Radio has over 700, I believe. So we've got we've got a ways to go and we can do it with your help. <laughs> Questions were pouring in over the last few days, I think, um, taking it back to Tony. You know, I guess you you going to Hodinkee, do they have a no corgi dogs allowed policy? You know, do you have a debut article as an employee already figured out? Um, you know, what's what's going to happen with Rescatement website? Is it going to be purchased uh, for pennies on the dollars, all the back catalog stuff? Or will it just be purged like Eric Wynn's old? 2005 2006 articles on Tumblr. <laughs> 2000. <laughs> wow, a lot of um I think in journalism school they probably teach you not to ask sort of more than one question at a time, Charlie, so you kind of violated uh journalism 101 there, but I'll try to take those backwards, you know. Uh it was a sad day, right? I remember up until let's say a few years ago, you could go on to like hodinky.squarespace.com and scroll back from, I think it ended in about 2014, 2015, and you could just kind of scroll back and read the old articles. Um, and that was a good time, and it was a sad day when they finally did stop paying the Squarespace bill or whatever it was, and that got taken down. Um, yeah. My goal for the old Rescatement post is to kind of put them on my personal URL, um, and that'll happen over the next few months. It takes time because, um, you know, from a technology perspective, none of these platforms, Squarespace, WordPress, whatever else, none of them want to communicate with each other. Um, but that's the goal for those to at least move the important ones, quote unquote, uh, to, you know, TonyTraina.com. They're all important. Yeah. They're all important. Well, I remember Hodinkee had the similar discussion. There was a guy named Kelly Jasper and Will, and they were like migrating to the new system and they didn't bring everything. And Ben has said that's one of his great regrets because, like, my first article yeah. on the pull router back in May 2010 is gone and a lot of stuff. And I don't have it written, I don't have it anywhere. So I can't, I remember kind of what I wrote, but I'd like to read it or send it to clients sometimes who are interested in getting a pull router and it's gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a momentum occasion in history, right? Eric's first article about watches. And I don't want Charlie's first article about watches to, you know, have the same fate happen to it. Um, yeah. uh, so I'm going to figure out a way to get those. Uh, but, you know, to to your point, Charlie, if strictlyvintagewatches.com and winvintage.com slash blog want to, uh, you know, hold a little auction, I think we've got at least two bidders that will bid a few <laughs> pennies on the dollar for the watch for the for the articles. Um We'll trade you some honey straps. <laughs> yeah, some honey wind <laughs> straps. Uh, yeah, so that's the goal there. Uh, as far as articles for the website or for Hodinkee.com. It's funny, I did pitch my first uh, watch or Hodinkee magazine article, which will be forthcoming. And it's going to be about um, 
where did all the asymmetrical watches go, right? So I want to talk about, uh, uh, you know, I feel like vintage watches, there were so many great asymmetrical watches, right? The Hoyer Datto, um, obviously the Cartier Crash, which I um, am constantly talking about. Uh, Charlie, just the other day, you posted a great Gilbert Albert Patek, but, uh, you know, so many of his great watches are asymmetrical, and I want to, you know, sort of wonder where all of the good ones went. I feel like we don't have enough sort of asymmetry in the watch world nowadays. And I think I'm going to try to make a cohesive argument for why watch brands need to bring back some fun and some asymmetry to, to their catalog. So that'll be probably the first, that's the first article I've thought about. That won't be the first one published, right? Because that's going to be in the magazine, but that's, uh, that's the goal, right? Kind of some sort of twist on um, whatever's, you know, the vintage watch world, but, but bringing it forward. Uh, Charlie, you had like five other questions. Did I answer them all for you? One more. Does Hodinky have a no gorgeous dogs <laughs> policy allowed? Because if so, then we're going to have to riot. Uh, I think it's Corgi, first of all. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Omega for you. Um, but I will be, you know, a lot of people have asked, right, if I'm going to be moving to New York, but I will be staying in Chicago. I'll be going to New York a lot more, I presume, at some point, or just traveling more generally. I'll be there in uh, October, I know, for watch time. I know I'll be there for a week in November, and then probably auctions in December. We'll see. Uh, So I'll be in New York more, but I'll still be holding it down in Chicago. Uh, So Charlie's got a live look at the the Hodinkee Chicago branch right now. it consists of a, a small second bedroom in my Chicago condo. Uh, and we are, we're certainly pro Corgi here. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to get to the Hodinkee office in New York and check it out. I mean, you know, I've seen it obviously on so many talking watches and it looks like, uh, you know, just like a, a shrine to sort of mid-century modern design. And I'm, I'm stoked to be able to check it out. Uh, Tony, does um, your dog get along well with your cats? <laughs> Uh, you know, I was saying this to Katie the other day. Uh, our dog thinks that it is good friends with one of our cats, uh, but the cat actually hates it. And it kind of just follows the cat around and tries to play with it. And the cat, you know, hates it. Um, but the dog thinks that they're playing. So there's kind of a misalignment there. But uh, yeah, he thinks they get along great for sure. And for all of you listening at home, make sure to follow Winnie C. <laughs> Winston the Corgi. We're up to 2,121 followers. This is the last time we'll talk about the Corgi on this show. I promise no. you, everyone. I know no everyone way. probably hates it. Uh, Not a chance. Not a chance. Ter- terribly self-promotional to fill Sorry. up this much time talking about Corgis and yeah. Corgi Instagram we're, accounts. I think we're seeing good Corgi owner <laughs> engagement with the metrics, and we're ready to do a spinoff called Significant Corgis. <laughs> yeah we'll get the queen on yes we need her that'll be our first podcast guest so going back to watches uh mr benador would love your thoughts on uh, your favorite new releases but more importantly your most despised loathed and hated new releases so We've got a couple of cool independents. First shout out I'm going to give is to H. Moser. They came out with a streamliner in rose gold, Vanta black dial, tourbillon with the bracelet also in rose gold. I think that thing just pops. Great take on for for Vanta black dials. Great version of their tourbillon. 
great addition to the streamliner. Um, I just wish that there were no indices on it and that the hands were just straight rose gold so it would have a bigger effect. But I think it is a very good-looking watch just in terms of design. I'm kind of a fan of the streamliner uh, line, so they get my first nod of approval. Um, my second nod of approval is Debethune. They did a new take on the DB25, which is a perpetual calendar, and it used to be a 44-millimeter watch. Great, great movement, great execution, but I once put it on my wrist, and I made my wrist look like, uh, you know, like a kitten's paw because it was huge. It was like 14 or 15 millimeters thick, 44. It, it was huge. Uh, so they shrunk it down to 40 millimeters and 11, 11 point something millimeters in thickness. And I think it, it looks great. They did a blue take on it. Really awesome. So that's great to see that they're responding to and that they're actually putting in the R&D into making something awesome and not just in over 42 millimeters, but at uh, the appropriate size in 40 and uh, under hopefully they'll one day they'll be able to make it thinner, but that's okay for now. Um, I also really like the Autelance, the linear watch. I don't know if you guys saw that. It's got, it's basically, um, it's got the minutes um, that go kind of go around here and then it's got the linear hours. So that that's pretty cool. Reminds me kind of the uh, uh, who is that guy with the with the balls on the side? Constantin um, Shaikin? No, no, it wasn't the Shaikin. It was it was um, yeah, whatever. He he, you know, he did the poker watches that you could play poker on the. Oh, is it Sven? Christoph? No, right yeah, the Claret, the Extrem, the Extrem. Uh, so I thought that was a nice looking watch that in a you know nice rectangular case big chunky obviously then i am going to give my first knock to shocker grubel forze um oh, no. guys i i know look I, again <laughs> i come at this from place of love i've owned grubels i think they have really have something there but they released another version of their gmt it's called the GMT Balancier Convex. Okay, so basically they took an inclined balance from the Balancier and then they took the GMT and put them together. I think we've got too many damn versions of the GMT at this point. We've got the Turbion, we've got the Quad, we've got the, you know, the Sport, the this, the that. Too much, too much. And now we're just mixing and matching too often we're pulling from here we're pulling from there we're putting them together a little bit of creativity uh, the rumor mill is that there's something very creative and cool in the pipeline i, I saw an early prototype maybe six years ago if that ever comes out i'll be very happy um, but i wish they would move things along in a in a more interesting manner rather than just pulling pieces from left and right and putting them together and creating a new a new watch um at least aesthetically this doesn't have those horrible letters around the bezel of the case that are god awful at least this is just a clean you know no letters no words so there's that uh big i'm sure the price tag is is going to be 
just brutally expensive. Uh, oh, there it is. Yep. On on strap, it's $400,000. And on titanium bracelet, it's $445,000 in case anybody was interested in purchasing it. And in the case is 46 and a half millimeters by 17.4. Um, yeah. So I think that's uh, bordering on unwearable. But anyway, there's that. And then uh, Urwork did another UR100 with the ultraviolet. Kind of a nice looking color for the UR100. Uh, has a comes with a white rubber strap on it, which I think looks nice. It's another color, another UR100. There's probably 15 different versions of it at this point. So not much more I want to add to that. Um, the last one, I well, maybe not the last one, but the next one I want to discuss is the Octo Finissimo. Uh, I think this looks really cool. It's a stainless steel case with a stainless steel bracelet that's all been mirror polished. I think it has a really cool effect. Um, I've seen a couple of people post it on Instagram and it is impossible to photograph, which I think makes it really cool uh, because it'll just turn people away from trying to photograph it. Uh, but this was a um, collaboration with um, with another architect, a Japanese architect named Kazuyo Sejima. So that that's pretty cool. You know, he's a 2010 Pritzker Prize winner and uh, you know all that and so he also and they for the dial if I'm not mistaken they did a uh, they they did this like dot pattern on it that's uh, yeah it's kind of cool that, 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 yeah I think it has a really cool effect it's one of those like look closer and I have to say I really Actually, like these you know, sorry oh you know what's interesting so it's the at the crystal actually has the metalized dot pattern which makes it seem like it's on the dial but it's floating above because it's in the sapphire crystal so it's yeah and the, the dots are, are titanium so they don't they don't ruin it uh but i think I, I'm, I'm obsessed with these with these uh collaborations that they do with these architects i think it is super cool um really love what they're doing and i'm excited to see what else they're gonna do um Last, uh, let's see if there's anything else I want to discuss here. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, the Doxo came out with a pretty nice looking uh, watch, not limited edition by any means, but uh, it looks pretty good. It's a uh, stain, you know, it's another piece of stainless steel, not limited, and it's what do they call it? I think it's called like the Doxa Army or whatever. So that that was pretty nice. Yeah, Tony, are yeah. you going to go for the new te- uh, Tudor? Pelagos, I think is the way we pronounce it now. Yeah, I mean, on the more sort of, let's say, uh, mass market end of things, right? I thought the Tudor Pal, I know, Pelag- Pelagos, right, is how they're saying it in their advertisements, which I learned I've been saying Pelagos wrong for all these years. Uh, I hope I'm not the only one, but yeah, I, think a, I think a lot of people are excited that it's in 39 millimeters now. It's got the T class bracelet. It's pretty much everything people probably wanted. In a Tudor Pelagos at 39 millimeters, obviously the in-house movement and all of that type of stuff. It's funny, I just sold my Black Bay 58 Silver, which people have probably seen me post before, and I loved that watch. But uh, as soon as, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things, they pull you back in, right? Uh, Tudor just releases kind of hit after hit of, of watches in the sort of 
2000 to $5,000 category or whatever what, that, uh, what led you to sell it, Tony? Well, I'm a journalist now, Eric. I'm not a, I'm not an attorney anymore. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> need to be liquid, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I mean, listen, I don't own too many, um, modern watches. I don't think I own any, to be honest with you. And it's like, if I do want a modern watch, I want it to be except kind the of Seiko. Seiko by oh, except for an amazing Seiko rowing blazers collaboration, which, you know, if you haven't heard, was kind of the release of summer 2021, I would say. Um, yeah. yeah, one of the best modern watches out there, uh, just from a design perspective and, and everything you could ever want in a watch. Um, but to that point, right? Like, I, if I do own a modern watch, I want it to be something you could just kind of wear and not worry about, like a Seiko 5 Rowing Blazers edition. And, you know, a silver watch is not that. Like, I scrape it every time I tried to take the, take the straps out and had a few new scrapes on the back of the lugs. And, uh, you know, it's not sort of the most practical thing in the world for a modern watch. If it's like, if you own four or five modern watches, I can see it being a nice addition to what you've got going on. But for me, who doesn't, own a ton of modern stuff and doesn't want to own a ton of modern stuff it's not like the one practical modern everyday just pick it up and don't think about it type of thing so uh i think the pelagos might be can i get that word out of my mouth i think that might be uh that for me uh you know i love the lhd i've got a buddy with the lhd version here i think it's one of the coolest watches and you know even the 42 millimeter version is more wearable yeah yeah, yeah. max has one max braun shout out mrb watches um yeah and you know even the 42 millimeter version is is more wearable than one might expect so i imagine the 39 millimeter version will fit great oh yeah also in that category i thought oris dropped a diver 65 with their sort of in-house caliber 400 or whatever it's called which i think is kind of exciting to have another i think they're asking like 3500 or something like that on bracelet uh, I think it's exciting to have another watch in that space that kind of, you know, obviously it's kind of cliche to compare everything to the Black Bay 58, but I mean, to be real, that's what it is. But I think it's exciting that they're bringing that, their in-house caliber to, um, you know, additional formats outside of the Aquas. So that was the other one I had flagged yesterday. But to be honest with you, this is kind of my, my last week as a not full-time journalist. So I've been trying to stay away from a little bit of the news of Geneva watch days before I go all in on watches. Yeah, finish strong at your law firm. <laughs> Charlie, Eric, anything from Geneva Watch Days uh, got you excited? Not particularly. To be <laughs> honest. Not like no, not offense to anybody. Like it's just nah. it's vintage. It's like that's what's interesting to me. But everybody who likes modern, I applaud you and I love it. Happy for you. Um, I did like the. Uh, Actually, you know, I don't really care at all about any of them. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't rushing to uh, any retailer to put in an order for anything that I've seen. But that's kind of a common story for me. Um, that the Bulgari um, Octo Finissimo. Sajima is interesting. I mean, it's just a great watch at under fifteen thousand. I think the retail is like fourteen thousand nine hundred. It's just a you know when you're looking at other watches in that kind of category of the integrated bracelet kind of you know 
Royal Oak, Nautilus, etc. At such a good price point for the quality of the watch to have it under fifteen thousand. When you look at the secondary market of all these other pieces, you know that's just a tiny fraction of it. The one thing that kind of got me interested uh, slash surprised this week, we'll begin to see some of the highlights for the fall season come out um, shortly, uh, obviously for the Geneva auctions in November, Hong Kong auctions, and uh, and then the New York auctions in December. Um, one of George Daniels' two wristwatches that he made by hand has uh, is coming to auction at Phillips in Geneva. Um, people don't really realize that he only made uh, 23 pocket watches and two wrist watches by hand. Essentially, those are the real McCoy, you know, over his decades of doing it. Um, and uh, it's a double dialed calendar watch with a tourbillon, which he completed in 1992. Um, that is literally like one of the coolest and most important Daniels pieces. His other watch is a chronograph that sold uh, in the Daniels auction at Sotheby's, I think in 2012, um, which is amazing as well. Um, so this piece was supposedly his daily wearer until 2005. Um, and, you know, to me, those two wristwatches are two of the greatest independent wristwatches in the world, if not the greatest. You know, they're unique pieces. Um, Daniels is, you know, arguably the best watchmaker of the 20th century. Um, he's uh, was just so critically important for where independents are today. He kind of revolutionized being an independent watchmaker with patrons and you know, people like Aristotle and Assis trying to buy his watches and him saying no. Uh, and uh, he was, you know, working with Sotheby's in London as well and like truly passionate about horology, writing scholarship on Abraham Louis Breguet's box and watches. Um, just the best of the best. Uh, so, and he's a bit of an asshole, which is, uh, I think, all all kind of great artists and things are have a little bit of that uh that chutzpah and uh difficult nature um so for me like the daniel's anniversary and those pieces it's the equivalent of collecting a print like a picasso print or a warhol print versus like an original picasso painting or warhol painting and uh to me that watch should be a 10 million dollar piece you know, if not now, then in the future, and it should be one of the most valuable wristwatches in the world. Um, I was quite surprised. I know the owner of the watch and couldn't believe it when I saw it come out because I told him, like, I really think that's an insanely valuable, insanely valuable watch. And I, I texted him and I said, you know, why are you selling this now? essentially like why not wait a few years you know i feel like the market hasn't fully matured and if i just had like 10 million in the bank account i would be going for this and putting it away and wearing it occasionally but he he basically responded and he thought the market for independence and george daniels is so strong right now 
as you know yourself, collections evolve, and it's an important opportunity for someone else to own a piece of history, George's very own personal wristwatch. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's honestly one of the most important pieces we will see at auction in recent years. And I personally, back in the the Sotheby's auction in 2012, I was going crazy over the chronograph wristwatch, thinking like, wow, this is one of the most important watches we'll ever see. It sold for under 500000 if I remember correctly. And that watch, in my view, should also be like a $10 million watch. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I certainly wish I had the means at that time to, uh, on my you know, Odinky $100 per article uh, pay at the time to purchase that watch. But, uh, you know, I think um, I really think that for the serious collectors that are listening, uh, that's a very uh, special, special watch. Uh, I I, I uh, look forward to holding it uh, during one of the previews and uh, I'm really excited about a coming talk. So, you know, I think it's important to watch community doesn't sleep on this one the collector community because you know it's it's you know this watch may never come up publicly for sale again it's really i could just see it going into a collection and remaining there for the next hundred years so what's the call here over under 10 million uh i mean i would expect I think it should be a $10 million watch. My guess is it'll go for a little bit less, but uh, I guess prove me wrong. <laughs> we'll I'm see. Guessing, we'll see. I'm guessing $7 million. I don't really have a guess yet. It, I think it depends on uh, the next couple of months in the world, but... Uh, yeah, and I think, I, you know, the thing that I just was trying to convey as well, people, like, get all these the Daniels watch is confused because you have the anniversary and you've got the Roger Smith connection and everything else, but he only made two wristwatches by hand that are fully his that were part of the 25 watches he ever made. So as I said, like the anniversary pieces, those things do not get me excited personally. Um, They're fine. They're cool. They're special, but they don't, it's not on my list of something that I would aspire to own myself, but this is something that I would love love to have along with his chronograph. Maybe more so his chronograph for me personally, but uh, you can't go wrong with either one. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think in the world of independence, the kind of closest thing we would see right wait, as a comparable is the Dufour brand and Pete Sonnery. Um, you know, which is uh, a collected man sold one last year, and then uh, Philip sold one in November for a couple million less. Uh, but you know, collected man headed up over seven million. Um, there's a number of those made. Uh, so you've got some, obviously, very few. I think it's seven, uh, if I remember offhand. But you compare that to like a truly unique piece. And um, it's very, very, very special. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think um, 
this is where the world of kind of horology and art intersect because these watchmakers are treated as as living or you know as artists and that's probably the biggest trend in the world of watches if we took a 30,000 foot view of the watch market the last 2 to 3 years you know Dufour and uh Jorn and Daniels and all these people being treated in a different way than like a large company like Tech Philippe and Rolex and everything else. And, um, you know, the question are like, uh, what is the legacy of these, these individuals going to be in 50 years? Will do four after he passes, hopefully many, many decades from now, but will he be, you know, viewed as one of the most important watchmakers? You know, I hope so. But what's the legacy of these people a hundred years from now? Whereas, like, I, I think the tech belief Rolex should be in existence for hundreds of years from now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the same with artists. Like, you know, the old masters used to be the thing, obviously, decades ago. And, uh, and now it's like not very sexy. The old masters departments at, at Christie's, Sotheby's, et cetera. And like, these what these paintings that sold for absolute fortunes decades ago sell for less now even than they did you know 50 70 years ago so um yeah it's kind of interesting uh just to see the whole evolution and and this is where it's you know these are the kind of conversations we'll be having in in decade in the coming years and decades just you know what's jorn's legacy after he passes and who are the next guys, you know, that are, are going to carry the torch for these individuals going to be interesting. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, you're talking $10 million that's, you know, steel 1518 or that pink on pink 1518. That was super crispy last year that we talked about on this a fair amount. And those yeah. are, uh, you know, those are kind of the old masters watches it sounds like, but uh, it seems like this might be one of, the first of sort of the modern independence to kind of break into that stratosphere. And I think it'll be interesting to watch, right? I think obviously Roger Smith has carried on the legacy of George Daniels in a, in a substantial way. Uh, we'll see if Philippe DeFore's family is able to do the same thing and others, but it's, it's interesting to watch, right? But it's interesting how, uh, I don't know, Rolex and Paddock are kind of the old masters in a way now. Uh, it, it sounds like you're saying, um, even though, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that long ago that there weren't even, um, you know, that many say million dollar Rolexes or that many um, yeah, million dollar paddocks. But yeah, uh, that's the world we live in now. Yeah. And by the way, to, you know, I always view watches, of course, what I think about, you know, 20 hours a day, but <laughs> probably dreaming about watches as well. So 24 hours a day. But um I always try to look at what's happening in other collector categories. We just saw Mickey Mantle 1952 tops sell at Heritage for 12.6 million. And Heritage is a serious auction house. Obviously, they do watches and everything else. You know, all the time we see these record kind of numbers at these kind of baseball card specific auction houses. And I don't even know if they're legit, to be honest, <laughs> like, or, you know, some of these things, but like, that's a real number at a real auction house. Uh, and, um, you know, we're seeing just record numbers for those. The car market remains very strong. They just had uh, Monterey car week. And um, 
I'm not a vintage car expert by any means, but there's definite overlap with the world of watches and cars. And everyone I, I talked to thought the results were very strong in the auctions out in California um, this past week. Crazy results for things that aren't that rare. I mean, you know, it's funny because we're talking about, you know, two wa- wristwatches made by, uh, you know, by Roger Smith, uh, yeah, and then we're as uh, our Daniels, and we're and we just saw an F forty. There's thirteen hundred of them go for over like four million bucks, which was unheard of even a year ago. Yeah, so, you know, and it wasn't, and it's not like an early plexiglass one. It's uh, you know, just a clean later, you know, later one. But we're seeing, you know, even AMG, uh, you know, early AMG Hammer cars doing over a million bucks, and that eclipsed uh a record that was two that would <laughs> that was set two weeks prior of seven hundred thousand. So you know we're seeing increases almost like week over week. It's um it's kind of it's kind of crazy. You know it's uh we're gonna see some some really really crazy numbers, at least in the car world, uh for some time. And I think that's gonna trickle down to really rare watches, especially on the independent side, because you know the you know at least with the cars the new uh, technologically interesting cars for their times and also aesthetically are the ones that are, that are um, doing big numbers. And as you said, you know, the changing from the old guard to sort of the newer guard, um, you know, the, they had a couple of Bugatti type 57s that went up for auction and they did, you know, in the millions, but they didn't crush, you know, they didn't crush the, the estimate, the high estimates, for example. So I think we're definitely seeing people gravitate towards the, you know, eighties and nineties cars more and more, which is sort of the new guard in this sense. And it's just, uh, I think it's an interesting cycle that we're seeing both paralleled in watches and in cars at the moment. And art, you know, it's kind of just, it's always the, the transition for, you know, the transition from everyone wanting to collect pocket watches to different types of wrist watches, the 1518 being the end all be all in the 1980s when the world of uh, vintage watch collecting kind of began. And then the rise of Rolex and kind of newer, sportier watches. We see the same in art with the transition from the old masters to post war and contemporary. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've seen it in cars with these 80s and 90s cars going way up in value compared to like back in the day, everyone wanted, you know, the stuff from the nineties, you know, the old Bugattis and Duesenbergs and then sure. all this. I think in art, I think actually art's the bellwether for a lot of this stuff because, you know, the contemporary art market, even if when, when you look 10 years ago, um, you know, some of these, some of these living artists were pulling in some serious money and Basquiat from the, you know, stuff from the mid to late eighties has been doing big numbers already for about, you know, a decade and a half at least. Um, and so now finally catching up with the other things that are, uh, lower tiered and lower priced as cars and watches are relative to, to art. Yeah. Just the cheap stuff like uh, million dollar watches, which pales in comparison to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. plus paintings but yeah it's, yeah exactly yeah it's crazy even the baseball card example you know the mickey mantle uh 12.6 million dollar result it blew away the i think it was the honus wagner card last year sold for like six million dollars which was always the grail right and we've kind of moved a couple generations forward now and people care about the mickey mantle card but it's kind of like 
people always say, right, like when you're older and you have the the wherewithal to buy or collect uh, nice things, you always kind of want what was in vogue when you were growing up. And I guess I kind of, I kind of get that in a way, right? Like I remember when I was at the Phillips New York uh, sale last December and, uh, you know, it was a George or yeah, it was a, a Edward, the Edward Hornby Torbillon was kind of front and center at the preview. Um, yeah. And I think it sold for two and a half million dollars. So you can kind of see how like, you know, it's kind of in my mind sitting in the back of my mind now, maybe when I've got the wherewithal in a, in 20 or 30 years uh, to, to blow a bunch of money on a watch, it, that might be at the forefront of my mind instead of a 1518 or something like that. Right. Because that's like front and center in the narrative of the watch world right now. So I kind of, I kind of totally get it from just a, a pure collecting perspective. Yeah. And it's like the kids who, you have the car poster in your in your room growing up and it's like you're growing up in the 80s or 90s it might be a lamborghini or ferrari from that era etc like that's what you could go in the store and buy is the poster of that car and the poster of michael jordan obviously we're seeing jordan shoes and everything selling for record amounts as well um so yeah it's uh it's very you know it's it's all very simple when you come down to it i guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but not so much. <laughs> well, I guess uh, with that, we will leave you here. Episode 22 of uh, Significant Watches. Please leave reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Congrats to our own Tony on his new gig. Congrats, Tony. <laughs> nice to see you guys. Thanks, Thanks everyone. See you.